Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the text that was read? Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. The text has been read. Let us now ask for God's help. And so, our Father, we pray that your Spirit, who is the true teacher of your Word, will instruct us in our innermost being. May we feel, Lord, the Word of God working in us today because your Spirit is the one imparting the truth to us. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation in our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the year 2009, the Israel Antiquity Agency announced that they had uncovered for the first time since the first century in Nazareth, one of its buildings. The building was small, modest, and it was most likely typical of the dwellings that existed in that day. It contained 50 houses, 50 houses on a patch of land, four acres, and populated by about 500 people. The dwelling was modest, was expressed by what was uncovered. They used to use camouflage to hide themselves, the 500 people there, because of the invasion of the Romans. It was not an easy time. Yet, in that small, obscure village, an out-of-the-way place, hidden in a valley. Nobody had anything good to say about Nazareth. When one of the disciples of Jesus was told about Nazareth, he responded, can any good thing come out of that place? Nobody would think of anything at all happening in a place like that that would catch the attention of a universe, of a world. As I was thinking of that in preparation for today, I was again reminded of the fact that we must never measure God by our location. We must never think that where I am, God cannot reach me. That I am too insignificant. I am too small. In fact, the tragedy of our time is that we tend to think that only that which is glittering, that which is screaming, is of God, and just the opposite is true. Think of Mary living in that obscure village, living with a sense of fear all around her, 
in fact, historians tell us that in Nazareth, the Romans used to come through and there used to be the ladies of the night to meet them. And yet, in the midst of this, there was one young girl who, with no other motive but that she was instructed in righteousness, wanted her life to be kept pure, not to be the home for the Messiah, but simply to be obedient to God. And it is in that setting that God broke through and entered into the womb of a young girl. Innocent. Some say she was no older than 15. I don't know. But what I do know that she was not so young, she was not so much in an obscure place that it was impossible for God to reach her. I say that to some of you young ladies and young men living in Sotoville. I remember the first time I drove into Sotoville. I also drove out of Sotoville. Uh, I had no idea where Sotoville was. I was expected to come here, and I said to Lois, I said, let's go and, let's go and see if we can find Sotoville. And I ended up in Brownsville. <laughs> I, I came, and it says Main Street. I said, well, okay, let's and for some reason, I came as, as far as you make the right-hand turn where the little store is. And I said, there's nothing in this place. Let's go back. And we went back. I, I couldn't believe that I was that close to Sotoville Church and didn't know that I was. But the thing that was interesting to me is that I noticed a population of 300 Another thing, it has changed since I've been here. I haven't added to it, I can tell you that much, because I live in Salem. Now, I'm not living in Salem because I don't like Sotoville. I just live in Salem because I moved from Toronto, and having moved from one country to the next is no picnic. <laughs> and I've paid my dues when it comes to moving. But have you, has it ever occurred to you that it is not impossible for God to be working in the life or lives of some young person listening to my voice or perhaps not even here in preparation for the world to hear of what God could do. This was Mary. The reading began this morning from verse 46 where she is responding to the message. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. But we've got to ask ourselves, what is it that moved Mary to respond in the way she was? We just don't simply praise. Heard about that lady this past week that went to Old Navy and thought she was going to just take a little chance and be one of the however 
you know, the million people. I always want that to happen, to walk into some store and bells begin to ring. You know, you are the one million visitors here. But they had promised a million dollars to whoever meets that qualification. A single mother with two children, I think. And can you imagine her excitement when she got the phone call saying, you are the winner of a million dollars. Wow. Think of her heart. Who, me? I can't believe it. Well, believe it because you are. Is that what happened to Mary? And that is why something happened before. Some announcement that came to her and the announcement resulted in her magnificent, as it's called. To magnify. Comes from the Latin word. And I want to begin this morning by looking at the causes for her praise before we come to the content of her praise. The causes of her praise. It begins, first of all, with a divine messenger. A divine messenger. You'll find his identification in Luke chapter 1, chapter, uh, verses 21 and to 45. We won't read the whole thing. In chapter 1, verse 11, Zechariah is doing his priestly work in the temple. And his priestly work in the temple was interrupted by a messenger, an angel. And I cannot fault Zechariah for being staggered. I cannot fault him for being frightened because I'm telling you now, if an angel broke into this place, I would be frightened. And the angel said to him, do not fear. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Imagine that. You have been going through the exercise of your religious responsibilities and all of a sudden something out of the ordinary takes place and you are confronted by someone from the presence of God. And so the messenger identifies himself to, to, uh, to Zechariah, tells him of what is to take place in his life and in that life of his wife Elizabeth. Six months later, this very same divine messenger appears in a little village called Nazareth. I don't know what Mary was doing. I do not know with what her occupation was, but by her lifestyle, she was ready for a divine messenger at any time. So should you and me. Our lifestyle should always prepare us for the presence and the invasion of God at his will. There should never be a time, I should never be engaged in anything that God cannot indeed interrupt in my life. So it was with Mary. And all of a sudden, her afternoon or morning was broken by the presence of an angel who said to her what was said to Zechariah, Fear not, Mary, 
Mary was stunned. She didn't jump up and down. She could not understand the divine presence of a divine angel from the divine presence. And, and, and she's, she's, she's moved. She's, she's frightened. And, and let me suggest to you, my friends, all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God never appears but that those to whom he appears are frightened. All through the Bible. When someone, someone comes and they, they give you this feeling that it's just a, a party in the presence of God, it's not so. From the very beginning, I'm, I'm thinking of the life of, of uh, Samson's parents. <laughs> when God appeared to them, his father said, we're going to die because we have seen God. Now, I'm not telling you that there isn't any joy. We're studying that Wednesday nights. Happy are those who mourn. What a contrast to time. But here, my friends, when it is least expected, when one cannot prepare him or herself for such a visitor, the visitor comes. And we need to recapture again the wonder of Christmas, not an American-style Christmas, not a Canadian-style Christmas, not a European concept of Christmas. We need to recapture the wonder of the biblical Christmas. We are sick and tired of all the, 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 the lights. And, you know, in Canada, I was watching the news the other night, and you know what is the big thing? White lights or colored lights. That's the big war right now. People are falling apart because some want white lights and other ones colored lights. I mean, as if the world is not in enough trouble already. <laughs> but what here it is. This messenger interrupts Mary. But it is not an ordinary messenger. It is a messenger who comes from the presence of God. And this divine messenger comes with a divine message. The, the messenger is the first cause of Mary's praise. Now the message is. In both messages, the content is outside of the physical. It is outside of the scientific. It is outside of the philosophical it is outside of everything that we can taste, touch, and see. Because Gabriel came with this message. Mary, you are going to be the mother of God's son. The child that will come. We'll talk about that next week, I think. Zechariah, your wife is going to give birth when it is past the age for women to give birth. Mary... You are going to give birth even though you have never been with a man. What a message. Here we are, my friends, confronted by a divine message. And when divine messages come to us, please remember that divine messages do not have any comparison when it comes to earthly messages. Because what God is going to speak about 
in his message is not what we can do. The message of God is always what only God can do. And this is what Mary is confronted with, with a message. We have, we have a divine message. Mary, in this obscure place, you are going to be the mother of a child. And you know, God knows you don't know a man. You know that. But I want you to know that God knows that. C.S. Lewis calls this the grand miracle. It is the Christian's theme. Take away this message and Christianity is reduced to a man-made story. It came to me as I was studying and listening and reading this week. But you know, the New Testament writers never discuss the virgin birth. Have you ever noticed that? They never discuss it. And one may ask the question, why? Isn't it important? Of course it is. But please listen. It is the life of Jesus that demands a virgin birth. Who Jesus was demands a virgin birth. Because he's not a man. He became one. And we can argue all we want about whether she was a young maiden or whether she was a virgin. I believe she was a virgin. But as important as that is, that is not the key, friends. The key is, unless he is virgin-born, he could never be my Savior. Unless he is virgin-born, he cannot raise the dead. So who Jesus was demanded a miracle, a virgin birth. We're living in a day, what is day that is called a secular age. Secularism comes from a word which means this side only, this earthly side. And there are new kinds of spirituality being developed in our world today. Someone has humorously put it this way. First, dentistry was painless. Then bicycles were chainless. Carriages were horseless. And many laws enforceless. Next, cut cookery were fireless. Telegraphy was wireless. Cigars were nicotineless. And coffee, uh, caffeineless. Soon oranges were seedless, the putting green was weedless, the college boy was hotless, the proper diet fatless, the new motor road dustless, the latest steel rustless, our tennis courts are sodless, our new religion godless. You see, there are those who are telling us, we don't want this whole story. Who could believe anything about a virgin birth? I don't mind being spiritual, but don't bring that idea about a miracle to me. Don't bring that, 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 that religion that talks about God doing things that are impossible. I want a religion that I can handle. I want a religion that I can see, a religion that I can taste, a religion that I can control, a religion that speaks about me, not about somebody else. Believe it or not, that's what's going on right now, even 
in some of our churches. The message was about God's power being demonstrated in human history. The incarnation could not have been concocted by, by, by you know, one of the things I discovered in my studies is that people are saying Mary could not have, Mary could not have thought up a story like this. It was made up. Really, who could talk about something as, and then they fail to realize this, who is writing this story? Luke is. And you know what Luke is? He's a doctor. He knows that for someone to be born, they need a father and a mother. And Luke would not have written as he began his story. Theophilus, I'm writing to you that you might know the certainty of the things which are written in the scriptures. And he began with the virgin birth. But still we don't want that kind of religion. Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was revealed in the flesh. So for Paul, the key under this this mystery is by realizing the life of Christ proves his virgin birth. Larry King, who was once a, one of America, America's best talk show host, Larry King was being interviewed by the present host for the Tonight Show. And Larry King was asked this question. Larry, if you could interview anyone in the world, who would that be? Larry King said, I would like to interview Jesus. Well, I tell you, that stunned the the, the one who asked the question. Larry, you, being a Jew, wants to interview Jesus? Why? Larry, what question would you ask Jesus if you had only one question to ask? And Larry King said this, and I quote, I would ask him if he was really virgin born. Because if he was virgin born, that would settle a lot of matters for me. My friends, this is why Peter said, great is the mystery of godliness. God was revealed in the flesh, and if that is so, that settles a lot of matters. A lot of matters. The divine message was burning in Mary's heart. Then we come to the divine mystery. Luke 1, 39-45. Look at what Gabriel does. In 39-45, He connects the two miracles. He said to Mary, right now your cousin Elizabeth is in hiding because of of, of her own pregnancy. She's with a child. I don't know whether Mary knew this before, but it doesn't appear that she did. 
Gabriel said to her, your cousin is pregnant, but she's a senior citizen. <laughs> By the way, may I just say this to you? Some of you who are elderly, don't limit God by your age. Don't believe that you are past being used by God. Nothing is as horrible as a Christian who says, I've paid my dues, God leave me alone. Look at this, look at this mystery. This young virgin, this elderly woman, and in both of them, God is at work. And because both of them are really the objects of God's grace and mercy, I love this. The text says, Mary made haste to go where Elizabeth was. Oh, my friends, listen, listen. I don't know where you were this, morning, this past week. I don't know what you experienced this past week. But is it possible that God worked in you to bring you here this morning to share what he has been doing in your life with someone else in whose life God has also been working? How often we come to church and it is me. It is just the circle where I stand. And there are others in whose lives God has been working. But nothing happens. We don't connect. Because we, we have turned inwardly. We do not allow God to, to work in others and work in us and bring us together so that we are able to share in ways that you could never share in the world. You could never share with those with whom you work. Those that you meet in your neighborhood. You can't share with them because they do not have God working in their lives as you have God working in your life. In Psalm 126 verse 2, when the Lord brought back the captivities of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. We couldn't believe God was doing this. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. When God connects his people in whom he's working, the world sees it and says, God is doing things in those people. They see it. We don't have to stand on our heads to attract the world. We simply need to allow God to have his way in our lives. And when it does, my friends, God knows where the audience is that needs what he's working in us. So that's why Mary was excited. Will Christmas be ex an exciting experience for you? <laughs> I, uh, I told my daughter... What I, what I want the grandchildren to give me for Christmas. They, they, they call on me and, and the grandmother 
to go to the Boys and Girls Club in Albany and sit on those hard benches. I said, I want them to get me one of those things that you can put, sit, and have. Now, don't you buy it. They're going to buy it, okay? <laughs> I told my wife what I want. We were in Chicago, as you know, for a wedding not too long ago. And I said, ha, ha, this is what I want. Now, she hasn't told me what she wants. I could leave you hanging there like you wouldn't believe it right now. <laughs> but I've already gotten it. <laughs> and on Christmas morning, let me suggest to you what is going to be exciting. It is not the gift. It's going to be the response to the gift. This is Mary. This is Mary. What? How can this be? And the angel said, God is going to do it. The Holy Spirit is going to come and overshadow you. Nothing impure here, absolutely not. And your womb is going to become the home of the one who created you. For with God, nothing is impossible. Elizabeth, Mary, old age, youth, yet God, the ever-present contemporary one, continues to work no matter at what stage of life you're in. And so Mary burst out. She made haste. She made haste. Then Mary said, listen, what she was about to say was coming from the depths of her soul, her being. This was not outward religion, this was inward reality. My soul doth magnify the Lord. The word magnify means to make big. You get to know me and you will get to know how big God is. Get to know me and you will know where the center of my being is and my spirit rejoice, the center, that place that belongs to no one else but myself. Look at what Mary does. Look, 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 at, look at the identity. Her praise is centered on a person. Jesus said that the reality of our speech comes from the reality out of our hearts, out of the mouth, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. God, Lord, Mighty One, Holy. Wow, what an excitement! God is, is the supreme one. In Hebrew, Elohim. In Greek, Theos. The absolute controller of everything. In Kurios, Lord. 
the mighty one, the one who is, cannot be prohibited from doing anything. Literally, the word mighty means Abba, Abba. My friends, if we, if we have a God like that, we could get excited too. If, if, if that's the kind of God that's working in your life and mine, we can get excited too. Her praise was due to the divine activities in her own life and that of Elizabeth. One reason, my friends, why we cannot share spiritual things is because perhaps those around whom we live do not have the same spiritual thirst, the same spiritual desire, the same spiritual apprehension. Mary knew that if God, if God could give the birth process new life in the womb of Elizabeth, God is able to give the birth process in her life, in her womb as well. This is an exciting passage of scripture. But my friends, I want to suggest something to you. Listen listen to Paul as he speaks to the Corinthians. He said, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone his lights in our hearts. God who said, let there be light of creation is the same God who speaks to Mary and it's the same God who brings light into our souls. So just as Gabriel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall give birth. In the same way, my friends, the Holy Spirit has come to reside in you and in me and we are able to give spiritual birth as God has designed it to be. We should never live an ordinary life as Christians. We should live an extraordinary life because just as Mary's birth was extraordinary, the fruits of our lives should be extraordinary. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Mary was nothing outside of what God was doing in her. But we have this treasure, the treasure of Christ in me. Just as Christ was in the womb of Mary, Christ is in our hearts. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul, writing to the Galatians, chapter 4, verse 19. My children, with whom I again in labor, I am in labor with you until Christ is formed in you. Oh, dear friends, Listen, this person that we're talking about this morning worked, worked in the womb of two people at the opposite end. And no matter who you are this morning, a man or a woman, a young person or a older person, God's spirit is not prohibited by the opposite ends. He's only prohibited by our unbelief. Only by our unbelief. Can God, can God raise up spiritual giants from Sodaville Church? Of course he can. He found Nazareth.
I can't tell you, my friends, how, how this text means much to me because I long to see God do wondrous things in this congregation. Things that are unbelievable. I'm not talking about raising money, wonderful as that is. I'm talking about spiritual endurance, forgiveness, care, prayer. Those are the fruits of the Spirit, my friends. That's what the Spirit provides. When Christ is in us, that's what happens. And only God can do that. That's the reason I do not believe in scolding a congregation. You cannot scold a congregation into spirituality. Spirituality happens when God is at work. Secondly, the content of her prayer, our praise, was the celebration of God's power. The celebration of God's power. Two years ago, a young child was born in Britain to William and Kate. And he's an heir to the throne, second or third. And now he's about to get a brother or a sister. I don't know which one. May I, may I say, my friends, that little Haley in this congregation has a greater potential and future than those two born in, in London, England. You know why? Those two in London, England have no power at all. They're just figureheads. They don't have any authority. They can't do anything. But think, if this little girl grows up to love Jesus and to serve him, who knows if she's the one that God is preparing for great things in the future? I don't know. Celebrating God's power. Number one, it is the power of his personal activities in her life. My soul, my spirit, my Savior. Hers was not a hand-me-down religious faith. It was personal. And the beauty of her soul was the produce of the message of God. Peter talks to, to, to wives whose husbands do not believe the scripture. And Peter said to them, listen, strive, strive for a spirit that is so gentle and beautiful in the sight of God. It is priceless and you will win your husband without a word. The personal activities of God in my life. We sat together around the table, I don't know how many of us, on Thanksgiving Day. And so there was some remembering of uh, the past. And there was, there was Lisa, Lois's niece. There was David, Lois's brother. And then there was Lois. 
And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Lisa said, as a little girl, what I remember most of Grandma is hearing Grandma and Grandpa praying for us as children. She was just a little girl then. Lois picked up the anthem. David picked up the chorus. And this is what I'm remembering of what they were saying. It was not so much that Grandma and Grandpa simply prayed for us. They prayed specifically. They prayed intentionally. They prayed because they believed that God was powerful enough as he worked in their lives, he was able to work in the lives of, his, of, his, of, his, of their children. The power of God. Oh, dear friends, I tell you, this is one thing that excites me, that when God gets a hold of you and when God gets a hold of me, miracles will take place. Miracles will take place. There will be birth that could not be, be produced by human doings. She celebrated the power of God. She celebrated the, provi the providence of God, 49 to 51. He has done mighty things, not only in her life, but in history. He delivered them out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. We're not given details. We're simply told that he did mighty things. And the word mighty is the word from which we get our word mega. He has done great, big things. Get to know me. Get to know his work in me. And you will get to know God better. That's not boasting, friends. That's realizing that if you can see anything in me that excites you, it's because God is doing it. Not because I'm doing it. Psalm 150 verse 2 says, Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Oh, a church that is just built around a program or a personality, my friends, that will die. That will die. But a church that is the product of the presence of God in the lives of his people, where he is working in their lives, where he's working providentially. You know, I, I, I'll give you a quick story. Tim Keller tells a story in, in his book, Reasons for God. He said, this one lady came into the church in New York, Redeemer Church, and she would come in and leave, come in and leave, come in and leave. One day, Tim said, I saw her, and I thought, I'm going to get to this lady before she leaves. And so Tim said, I went to the lady and said, I noticed that you have been coming here, and you leave and leave. Um, what is it about our church that makes you want to come? And she said, oh, nothing. That blows the ego, doesn't it? <laughs> well, why are you here? She said, I'll tell you why. She said, I work for a big, big business downtown New York. And I messed up badly. I messed up badly. I was called in. I was called in by the CEO and told about what was done. And he was about to lower the boom on me when my boss came in. And my boss said, don't blame her. 
blame me. I'm responsible for her failure. And so the boss relented and changed his decision. On the way out, this gal went up to her boss and said, said, I've seen a lot of things done before, but you risked your job on my behalf. What is it that made you do that? And she sa he said, I belong to Jesus Christ. He took my place, and he has given me love for you to take your place. And that led her to the church where she was going. My friends, is anyone here because of you? Because in the providence of God, in the marketplace, where you were being faithful to God, someone saw the power of God in your life, and they couldn't believe it, and they come and say, where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? The providence of God. <laughs> you know, I was, I was uh, you know me and my driving, very, very concerned about that. And, and the other day I was, I was driving and I, I, don't, I don't know whether I was going too fast or too slow, more than likely too slow. And I started to speed up. And then before too long, I noticed I was going too fast. And I thought, uh-oh, so what if somebody from Soderville Church sees you? I said, Winston, you don't drive for Paul or John or Warren. You drive for God. Let his providence, let his providence keep you from doing anything that you would not want anyone else to see you do. My friends, that's what Mary is saying. Mary, in the providence of God, all the time, the dull life, quote-unquote, she was living, all of a sudden, there's an invasion from heaven. And she's no longer the same. Thirdly, quickly, she's excited because of God's personal intervention. Because of God's personal intervention. This is similar to number one, but not really. Look, look, at, look at verse 52. You will, you'll see this. I'll read this. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were hum humble. In the political arena, just think, my friends, in the providence of God, when those soldiers, Roman soldiers, were coming through Nazareth, when they were looking for a, a good night, quote-unquote, Mary was missed. Mary was not in the wrong place at the wrong time. So she knew that the providence of God was watching over her life. But this is not the only place where God intervenes. Political powers are not self-governed. They are ruled by their rulers by permission. And when Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was able to build his own world, God made him eat grass like an animal. And we need to realize, my friends, in spite of what might be going on politically in our world, that God is the one who is in control. He puts one up and brings one down. And at the right time, 
he will move the wrong person, but he will not necessarily replace him with the right person. You know where the right person is? The right person is right there, not down there. Let us not make the mistake. Mary said, my spirit is focused upon God. My soul is magnifying God, not the right party won. This past week, there was an election in Canada, and some of you know of Rob Ford. Well, he was replaced. And there's a sigh of relief all over Canada. Now the night shows won't have anything to talk about. But my friends, I warn, whoever I'm talking with, I warn them, let us not make the mistake by thinking that we have the right man in the office of mayor now. Because God removes one and replaces him. Removes and replaces, exalt and demote. He has removed the mighty. Those who have political clout and those who have financial clout God has brought them down from their thrones. Mary knows this to be a fact. Morally, verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. That word good is not talking simply of physical things. It's talking about spiritual things. God feeds the hungry with food he has prepared. 1 Corinthians 2.9 Morally, socially, God is at work. He intervenes. He provides. Prophetically, prophetically, 55, 54, and 55, she traces the promises of God or the covenants of God from Abraham. But let me suggest to you that Mary is going way beyond Abraham. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promised the coming of a seed by the seed of the woman. God said the ultimate, the ultimate that will take place. My purposes will ripen fast when the woman gives birth to the seed, singular. The seed is speaking of Christ. And Mary then realized, if I am giving birth to the Son of God supernaturally, God is using me to bring forth his seed. And so for centuries, Israel waited and waited and waited for the Messiah. And in a little village, obscure place with about 500 people, four acres of land, 50 houses, God found the woman through whom he's going to bring the Messiah into the world. Should Mary not be excited? Should Mary not be excited? She spoke prophetically. And she speaks of things yet to come. And I want to close with this. Because of God working in Mary and Elizabeth, her praise cherishes partnership. Verse 56, she stayed for three more months. She didn't get tired of talking with another in whom God was working. <laughs> As I was preparing this, my wife and I had some friends up in Toronto, and on one night after the 
New Year's meeting, they came over to our house and we started to play games. And they didn't leave until three days after. <laughs> and we had fun. It wasn't hard being with friends like that. My friends, let me say this, and it will not be hard for you to be with friends extra time if God is working in you and God is working in them. There will be the celebration of partnership. The Lord has done great things for us. And dear friends, as we come to this Christmas, let's ask God for something that He alone can do that Christmas in the year 2014 will mark a spiritual journey begun which he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Take a moment, friends. Take a moment to reflect Where is your life with other Christians? Where is your life in private? What is it like? Remember, Mary didn't know what, that the angel was going to come to her. She only knew that she ought to keep herself pure. Where is our church? Do we value one another? Do we value fellowship? Oh, if God is at work in you and God is at work in me, we're not going to stay for three days, but oh, we're going to just cherish the privilege of partnership in our spiritual journey and make it so, Lord, in Jesus' name.